Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Welcome back to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Dan Bentley here and also Tracy Newman as per usual. Welcome back to the show, Trace. Ah, it's so good to be here. I've moved into my lounge room because I've got the heater on and I've got my fluffy socks because obviously people can't see my feet, so it's all good. Nice. And what they also can't see in the background relating to your feet too, there's a pair of brightly colored roller skates on the shelf. Are they the new ones that you got recently? They are. Yes, I haven't actually been game enough to wear them outside of the house because they're so pretty. I don't want to damage them. But I was very fortunate in that I won them in a raffle. And so Impala sent them to me and they came in this beautiful box and they just look so pretty that I've just got them on the shelf. I will wear them one day. You have to take them out for a spin. Yeah, I just need to get the elbow pads and the knee pads because I'm too old to fall over. And a helmet. (laughs) And a helmet, yes. All right. So today what we're going to be talking about is our last couple of episodes have really been going into co-design. And one of the areas that we see is a bit of a stumbling block for some practitioners or leaders that are trying to get co-design stood up in their organization to run projects and those sorts of things is understanding how important it is for people to be able to participate within your activities. So co-design, when you take it out of the box, like Tracy's roller skates, (laughs) you can't just put them up on the shelf and and expect them to work to keep using the analogy. What you really need to do is it is about trying to make it really tailored to the people and understanding a little bit about those people that you are trying to co-design with. So what we're going to go through today is just some tips from our perspective. We've got about five different areas that we're going to talk to you about around what you need to kind of look out for to make sure that the people that you have got involved in your co-design project are going to be able to participate. Because if you run a co-design project and these people can't participate in your activities, then your co-design project is not going to get the outcomes that you're looking for. Yeah, co-design is only as good as the people that you're co-designing with. So if you can't attract people and you can't have them participate in a way that's meaningful for them, then that's going to definitely impact your co-design project. So this is all about how do you have people turn up, but also how do you have them turn up and feel like they can participate and that they want to participate. All right. So we've got these five different areas for you. We're just going to kind of chuck some tips in on top of them. But the first one is around access. So what we get our clients to think about is, are you accessing the right stakeholders or are they the same people that you might usually get involved in activities or are they clients that already love your organization and maybe not the people that like an average service user? This is one that we see a bit where people go, oh, I'm going to put it out on our newsletter. Who would like to get involved in a project to help us design a new service or program or whatever it might be? And they kind of get people that often contribute and volunteer their time to their organization. Now, generally speaking, these people are very enthusiastic. They might actually be very extroverted and outgoing types of people to put themselves in those types of scenarios often. And they're probably people that are kind of fans of your organization if they're going to give up some of their time based off that. They may not always be, but I guess what we're asking you to do here is maybe ask yourself that question and say, if they are the types of people you might be attracting by taking that approach, is that a good representation if they were all to turn up of your 
service user base that might be using this service or whatever it is you might be creating? If the answer is no, then you may need to be a little bit more clever than that in the way that you do access the right people because the average person who uses your service may not be the sort of person who's going to jump in and read your newsletter and then actually say, oh, I'm going to come along to a half-day workshop or get you to come out and speak to me about this or whatever that might look like. Yeah, we see that a bit whereby you need to be in the circle of that organisation to even find out that there is a co-design activity happening, which therefore means that the people that may want to be able to talk to wouldn't even know that it was happening. So the chances of them being able to participate is is pretty slim. So yeah, you certainly don't necessarily get that. And I think where this can be really helpful is actually thinking about, well, if I don't know people who don't know me, who does know them? You know, how can we access people that potentially aren't part of our organisation? And where do people go if they're not coming to us? There are always service providers that provide services to a broader range of people than you do, even if it's just a supermarket or a doctor's office, or there are places that people are on regular occasions. So how can you actually be where they are rather than waiting for them to come to you? Yeah. Or the other thing that we do on top of that is to use existing relationships within communities. We do a lot of work within culled communities and often we will, instead of going to a service provider's database who there might already be existing customers, what we will generally do is sort of get a bit of an idea of the sorts of stakeholders and and people we want to have involved in the project. And what we will do then is speak to community leaders of the different communities and say, hey, these are the sorts of people we're trying to look get involved. Here's the reasons why it'd be really beneficial to have the community involved in this co-design. Do you know anyone that you think would be appropriate? Can you put the feelers out? So then they're able to use their existing relationships to be able to identify people that you may not have had access to before, but might be a lot more of a representation of the sorts of people you want to have involved in the co-designing of that. And of course, you're much more likely to be able to have people be interested if that is coming via somebody that they already trust. So, you know, if you can leverage off those existing relationships and trust, You know, if a complete stranger said to me, hey, do you want to come for a drive in the woods? I would be less likely to say yes than if it was somebody I I knew saying, hey, would you like to come for a drive in the woods? Just because you've got that existing relationship and that existing trust. This is why you've lived as long as you have, Trace. That's a good stranger (laughs) danger story right there. (laughs) Next one is around location. So we often talk about the venue being accessible. And so that's obviously from an all abilities perspective. But also think a bit about as well around, is it actually central to the people that you're wanting to have involved? Is it a place that they will actually able to get to if they don't have a car, for example, or if they don't like to catch public transport? Like, is it a place that it's going to be easy for people to get to essentially? Yeah. And I think accessibility is more than is somebody able to get into the building. So for example, with some work that we did, we were looking for a venue that was accessible and talking to venues about accessibility and they would be like, oh yes, you know, it's wheelchair accessible. But the people who came into the building in a wheelchair needed to actually go out the back and come into the room via the kitchen. Whereas people who didn't need to use a wheelchair would just come straight in the front door and be in the room. So yes, it's accessible, but is it equally welcoming for all of the participants? I would suggest no. So, you know, even down to that kind of level of accessibility, you want it to 
to be welcoming, not just, yes, you can get in. Yeah, that's a good point. Is it also a place that is a comfortable place for these people to spend some time and share their thoughts and some of their stories with you? Another example of a time that we've done some work with um, people that are living with dementia and the lighting in the venue can play such a role, whether that is a disorientating or a non-disorientating environment for them. So if you think about that, you might have ticked all the other boxes, but when people then join that room, they can't sit there for the couple of hours that you want them to be there. It's just disorientating them. So they're not going to, you're not going to bring the best out of them, nor is it going to be a good experience for the participants either. So looking into some of those types of elements as well can also be helpful. The other example as well is, might it be a building that represents something that is uncomfortable for people? It might well be it's a government building, but you really want to access new migrants and potentially refugees. Well, they might have an association with a government building that isn't necessarily going to, again, make them feel welcome, make them feel comfortable. So even just down to, well, what's the style of the building and is that style of building appropriate for people? Yeah, and then I think the other big one too is, is it like once people are in the room, is it a comfortable environment? You know, is it not cold? Is it, you know, these things seem <laughs> simple, but sometimes people don't really think through these sorts of things. We've done a lot of work in aged care and something that we need to think about is having multiple types of ways people can sit or stand, I guess, to contribute. Because sometimes people find it quite uncomfortable to sit for long periods of time. So sometimes some people can't really sit on like an office chair. They actually find like a couch a better way to sit. So having some of those options available, if you do have people that you think might find it difficult to sit, having some different options available for people can also make it better. It's about trying to think about the stakeholders you have there and thinking through like what their needs might be or even asking, that's the gold standard, asking some people before doing this like what some of their specific needs might be because we're not saying to make the perfect thing where don't run a co-design project if you can't you know get it absolutely perfect it's not about that but it is about not just jumping in head first actually taking some time to strategize and think what are some of the key needs that the people that might be coming along to this might be and how can i ensure that i can do everything that i can do to ensure that they're going to have a pleasant experience and will be able to participate yeah, and I think you really hit the nail on the head with the gold standard being to ask people. You know, we're, we're talking about lots of different things and it's easy to go, well, how am I going to know all of this? How am I going to know what everybody needs? And it's not about knowing what everybody needs. It's just being open to the idea that different people have different needs and, you know, checking in meaningfully with people. Like this is, this is what we're looking to do for your community. Is there anything there that we've missed? You know, does that work? Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment. Satan time. This one's quite quick and easy, but you know, it's very easy to think from our own perspective about, you know, what time of day might work for us and also, you know, what date would work for us. You know, we're unlikely to plan to do a co-design activity on Christmas Day because we know that that's a, a date that has religious significance for many people, but there are many days during the year that have religious significance. And of course, if you're looking to, you know, have people come and participate in your co-design, you want to make sure that you've definitely 
definitely avoided those days. But also, you know, what time of day? Quite often people assume that older people like to get up early in the morning and they really like things early in the morning. But doing work with people with dementia, etc., sometimes it takes people some time to get up and get ready and get organized. So, you know, people with small children, people with, you know, with needs that need to have carers come in and all of those things, you know, all need to play a part. So whilst it might be easy for us to get somewhere at nine o'clock in the morning, we, we certainly don't want to assume that that's the case for everybody. Yeah, a common version of that that we see is people scheduling it within business hours, but they want to have people who are employed come along. And the reason they schedule it within business hours is because, well, they're doing it for their job. As in the people scheduling it, it's their job to run this workshop. However, they haven't thought through that the people that they might want to bring along may not be in jobs where they have the autonomy just to be able to walk out and take an afternoon off and go and speak to a group of people. It might not actually be possible. That's a really important thing to think about too. Can those people actually attend during the day? And and even if they can, is that where you're going to get your best participation? Would something after hours or on a weekend potentially be better? I mean, obviously, all of that depends on the people that you're trying to target, trying to get involved, right? And childcare as well. You know, people who have parenting responsibilities, again, can't necessarily make their children disappear so that they can go and be involved in co-design. So is it an option to have some childcare available? Is it an option to have the time be at a time that's going to be more suitable? Next one is around activities. So do the activities that you have designed for the people to go through in the co-design process, do they actually bring the best out of each stakeholder and encourage participation? Such a good question. And it's so important to think that through because what you want is for people to feel successful and for people to be able to give the activity some attention, but not be having to pay so much attention that they can't do anything outside of the activity. They can't engage in conversation. They can't share their thoughts. You really want it to be an activity that people could be easily successful at and that they can then feel good about their contribution and, you know, encourage that participation as you go. Another common mistake that we see around this is assuming language and understanding. So Mm. dealing with multicultural communities, people can quite often just have like so much literature and so much talking and it really doesn't make it easy for people that speak English as a second language. They might be new to the country or even just don't speak a lot of English to be able to really understand like what are you asking for me to do? So taking some time out to think about how can you make it so that anyone whether it be a young person, an older person, someone who speaks English as a first, second or third language to be able to understand what it is you're looking for them to do and to be able to participate, that can make a really big difference. A really easy thing that people can sometimes think is, well, we'll just bring along interpreters that, and that can be a good idea. But something that we're really passionate about is, is that if you are going to do that, that interpreter really needs to understand that what they need to do is is every time they capture a story or something from the person that they're speaking with to ensure that they haven't added their own biases or their own bit of fat on top of that. And once you've captured everything that you can repeat back to the person that is involved in the co-design to say, have we captured what you've said correctly? To ensure that they can say, yes, that's how I meant that. Just because you can get in some trouble there where, you know, you can take things out of context and, and not really understand what the person truly meant because of that communication challenge. 
Yeah. It's all about providing flexible ways for people to be involved because once somebody has agreed to participate and they are participating, again, you want to make sure that they understand, you know, within the activities that that their involvement, that they still have that control over their involvement. And, you know, if they need to take a step back, that's absolutely fine. If they are really engaged, that is also really fine and, and that they still have that ownership over their own participation as things go on as well. There's little things as well that are really simple, like, you know, you're doing something around how can you help people that don't like to use computers to use computers? Don't get them to do something on a computer necessarily when they get there. (laughs) Like Maybe use a medium that's helpful. One of our friends uh, works a lot with children. And so instead of getting children to, you know, sit down and go tell us something about, you know, something that scares you, and ask and maybe the way that we'd interview an adult this particular person gets them to draw pictures and because that's a that's a way they like to communicate and is able to say why is this particular playground that you've created so high up or because i think that keeps me safe or what is it that you're scared of and so what, what what's down the bottom can you draw in what you're worried about they can then sort of participate in a way that is in their language that particular person as well also had this great idea of when we were going to do some work together of even meeting children or even teens in spaces that they want to meet in and having activities that they would like to participate in. So this is a bit of location and activities put together. So they had an idea of doing some workshops on Minecraft or Roblox where you could actually set up workshop rooms and have people in the game answering questions and you know doing activities and those sorts of things to get that sort of thing out of them in a really engaging way. Yeah, and it's so beneficial, isn't it? So instead of trying to attract people to where you want them to be, think about, well, where are they and where do they want to be and how do we meet them there? And then do it in a way that they want to do it too, right? You know, we hear stories all the time of where people get like, teenagers in that are like early school leavers or something like that and go oh let's just do a focus group with them and then they're sitting around like oh what is this what are these old people wanting to ask me and people are like oh how do we engage them you know you got to do it in a way that's going to be something that interests them as well i think that's what's really important is make your activities really relevant if you can do that then anyone can be like okay i'll participate in this because it actually kind of looks fun or it looks interesting or it's a way that i like to communicate or spend my time those sorts of things can really help bring the best out in your participant and the other thing that's really important about activities too is making sure that people can actually feel safe and relaxed that's a really big blocker that we've seen so much and it's something that over the years that we've managed to get quite good at i think is just making people feel calm and safe that's a really big part and some of the activities that you might want to do at the start of any type of co-design activity or anything that you might be doing with people is just to help them understand that this is a safe environment. You know, we are going to have some fun. We are going to be, it is relaxed. You know, we just want you to be honest. You know, framing up all those sorts of things early as part of your activities and helping people understand what success looks like, which is usually just, we just want to hear your story. There's no right or wrong can really help you bring the best out of people too. Yeah, and look, that's one of the reasons why we like to do activities rather than just get everybody in a room and ask them questions because sometimes when people are doing an activity, then they will tell you things that you wouldn't necessarily have thought to ask them a question about because they will just share whatever's important to them, whereas if it's very structured and it's very, you know, I'm going to ask you lots of questions and you provide me with the answers, people will just divert to giving you answers so if you don't ask enough questions or the right questions you won't necessarily get from them 
what they really care about because you didn't ask them the question to elicit that information. Whereas if people are building things and designing things and working with other people and putting things together and sharing stories, then sometimes what people choose to tell you is just as important as, you know, what's included in the actual story. So that can be really beneficial as well. True. What's the final one, Trace? Final one is all about remuneration, which is something that has definitely, I feel, moved a corner. It used to be that there was the currency of scones or muffins <laughs> and it would be like, you know, we're all going to get paid for spending two hours but we want to invite people to come in and we'll give them a scone for their efforts. So, you know, <laughs> we're going to walk downstairs into our our meeting room and get other people to travel in by bus and car and find a car park and park and get into the room and pay for all of that and we'll give them a muffin and say thank you. Whereas I think we've moved along from that to the point where it's like, well, is it fair and reasonable that some people in the room are being paid and other people in the room are donating their time? And sometimes the answer absolutely is and can be yes, but it's more appropriate to consider, well, how can we make this more even and how can we make sure that we are remunerating people reasonably for their efforts. I agree. I think it has become a lot better. The amount of teas and coffees and stuff and scones, like you said, that had been handed out previously is probably not really cutting it. I think people's costs to participate should be covered, I think, is a bare minimum. That's my personal opinion. I think what most organizations should be doing is giving people a reason to be there. That's what we're really talking about with remuneration. So, you know, costs, that's the bare minimum of fairness. But what's the reason why people would want to give up their time to you? Now, one part of that can be financial, but there's other parts of it too. That's probably where I'd like to take the conversation if you're cool with that too, Trace. Well, let's start with one of them, the mission side of things. Like what is the bigger picture of why somebody is going to spend some of their time with you. Like, what are they going to get out of it? Doesn't matter what you're talking about. People are always wondering, what's in it for me, right? Money is one part of that, but we've sort of touched on what we think should happen around that. So let's park that for a moment. But on top of the money, what are they going to get out of it? What problems are by them getting involved in? Is it going to solve for them? That sort of stuff really is important. And it's important. A lot of people might say they're going to turn up, but then they don't turn up. And then you might have had like the most perfectly hand-picked curated group to co-design and then half the group doesn't turn up. And then you've got this like, you know, it's for example, no one with lived experience turns up and you've just got just the stakeholders from the community and you can't really co-design without that. So getting the remuneration element of it right is really important so that not just people turn up, but it's also so that it's fair, so that they also see a reason to want to be involved and also a reason for them to maybe put themselves out of their comfort zone too, to, to give you some personal information and some stories and spend that time with your organization or whatever it is to, to be able to make this thing better. Yeah, I think it sends a really clear message to people when you are recognizing their efforts and when you are um, being purposeful around why somebody would want to be involved and making sure that that is available to them through their participation. So people will, when they can, volunteer their time because they want to make the world a better place. But are you going back to them and saying, look, this is this is the outcome. This is what we've been able to do. These are the impacts that you've been able to help us to create. So that's a, a really important way of making sure that you are being respectful of of what it is that people are contributing. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think it's important too that what you're going to give that person for their time and to entice them to want to be a part of what you're doing on top of the stuff that we've already mentioned, but it needs to also be something that's relevant to that person. So we've worked with, and this has happened many different times that we've seen where we've worked with people who are wanting to to run a co-design project and they're looking at recruiting and they said, oh, well, what we're going to do is we want to try and understand why people aren't using X service and then what we're going to offer them to participate as a discount off that service. And you look at that and go, okay, that's really nice that you're wanting to offer this discount on your service or whatever that might be, but you, these are the people that don't want to use your service. So that is actually not a meaningful reward for their time. What you want to do is actually be thinking about, well, how else could I remunerate that person? What other resources might we have that we could potentially give them? And I'll I'll put it out there as someone who does like a good scone or a free lunch. Those things are great too, but it's like that's on top of the other stuff. (laughs) Yeah, look, we're not dissing scones here. We like muffins. We like scones. We like coffee. You know, all of those things are certainly appreciated and valued. It's just sometimes that's not enough and that's not necessarily the only reason that that people are want, going to want to meaningfully participate. Yeah. So just to do a bit of a recap for everybody in case you're sitting there going, oh, geez, I'm going to have to rewind the episode and go through and write down the five different areas. We're going to save you some time. Here they are. <laughs> Number one is about access. So are you accessing those right stakeholders and the right people you need to have in the room? Are you using those relationships and that trust to really make sure that you're getting a good mix of people to come along to your co-design activities? Number two was all about location. So is that venue accessible? And we don't just mean physically, we mean accessible in many different ways. Timing, are those dates and times that you've chosen appropriate for the people that you're wanting to have come along? Those activities that you've got involved, do they bring the best out of your participants and do they encourage people to feel safe and, and want to participate? And finally, remuneration. You know, We talked about many different ways you can remunerate somebody for their time. One last little leaving tip that we'll give you before uh, we wrap it up, which just popped into my mind as I was going through this, is that sometimes you just don't know the stakeholder group very well and you're thinking, how on earth am I going to try and work out what to do? And a little tip here is and we love to say this because it sounds funny as well, but co-design the co-design. That's something that we find works really well. Speak to some people that are from those communities that you're trying to access and say, hey, we want to run a project and we want to get you people from your community involved. However, we just don't even know where to start. What are some of the things that you could tell us that you think would really work? And that way you can actually have some, like an advisory group potentially, formal or informal, no matter how you want to set that up will work. And get their tips on what are the best ways to do that. Because you know what? You can't be an expert on everything. And that's, you know, part of this whole journey of collaboration is that we're trying to give up the fact that we are experts on everything and we just want to listen to the right people to get the best ideas and move forward with something that works for all of us. So thanks, Trace. Get out there for a roller skate. Hopefully it's not too cold for you and don't get in any cars with people that want to drive you into the woods that you don't know. If you do that, no doubt we'll see you on the next episode. Excellent. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.